I've always hated the saying, better the devil you know than the devil you don't. When faced with the choice, I'll take the devil I don't every time. You see, the devil you know might be familiar, but that only means you'll let your guard down in front of them. And the factor you're not thinking about in this equation is that the devil you know knows you too. People are generally a lot more liberal with the word no in practice than they are in theory. We confuse it with the word recognize. You recognize your mail carrier. You know your ex. But if someone asked you if you knew both of them, your answer would just be yes. But you would be wrong. Because if you want to know, you have to pay attention. For example, I know it takes you 16 minutes to walk a mile. 14 if you're in a rush. I know you drive a black Honda Civic and get coffee at Dunkin' on weekdays at 7.45 a.m. I know that when it rains, you carry a blue umbrella. I know that you leave your house every weekday at 7.30 and return home at 5.30, except on Fridays when you go to happy hour with your friends. I know that your roommate works nights, and so you are home alone every night after 8 p.m. I know you have a security camera on the front and side of your house, but not the back. I know your dog likes beef jerky, and that just a little will keep him quiet, and that your front hall closet smells like cherry perfume. I know these things because I pay attention, and you don't. I talked to your brother yesterday. He stopped by. He asked us to put up more missing posters and to keep you in our prayers. He said he just can't stand not knowing and that his worst fear was that you were tied up in somebody's basement. I know, I said. People are terrible. Then he nodded and walked away. You see, he assumed that I know meant I recognize. I recognize how scary this all is and that thinking of all the possibilities can drive you crazy. But what I really meant was, I know there are terrible people everywhere. Terrible people like me. I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we would be dead. Hey, Holly. Hey, Fiends. 
this week and next week Ooh. because surprise, it's a two-parter. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're uh, doing a few more of those this year because it allows us to cover lots of information but not take like 18 hours of time, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which, which we think might be a little better for everybody involved. But anyway, this week and next, we're coming back to modern times. I love it. I know. Kind we of, to. Kind of reluctantly because I do love old timey <laughs> stuff. But you are right. We did have to. Yeah. And this time we're coming back with a case that has captured the true crime corners of the internet. This case, when presented as it originally was with confidence, seems to be a very as-is situation. Like when I first found it, I thought, oh, okay, this is like, pretty cut and dry. There's a few facts. There's like one little twist and then there you go. Mm -hmm. But when that presentation is put up against any kind of time-tested forensic theory, it evaporates. Oh. Yeah. The events themselves are like smoky ghosts haunting the corners of every conversation I listened to or read. And I read and listened to a lot of them in the past few weeks. And I am speaking, of course, about the brutally inexplicable murder of Rebecca Gould. And this happened in Arkansas in 2004. This one is is going to stay with you guys. Like, it's going to stay with all of us. I'm just warning you. And I know that because it has stayed with me. And it has stayed with basically everyone who has laid eyes on it since it happened. Nobody can really let this case go. It's one of those. Ooh. Yeah. I've spent many a long walk and sleepless night pouring over all of this information. And it has left me looking... Exactly like a person who takes a lot of long walks and never sleeps. Yes, that's exactly what I would say looking at you Yeah, right now. that's what I look like. And I also like don't stop to drink water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's not it's not a great look. I'm beginning to scare the neighbor children, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, which, you know, they probably think I'm some kind of ghoul. Maybe they're right. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes you don't want kids to bother yeah, you. They're just saying girl wrong, but... Yeah, there you hey, go. Goo. <laughs> That's what I'll tell myself. Yeah. Great. <laughs> now, ghoul face might be useful when it comes to scaring off pesky youths, but it's not great for public interaction or my self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes me sad. None of the traditional methods for getting rid of this horrible visage seem to be doing it. So I think it's time for me to go untraditional. Mm. Don't you think? Yeah. Off the beaten path. Rumor has it that there is a remedy totally natural, that I can use and it will take care of it. Okay. And that is just a couple drops of pure, unfiltered validation, a hill worth dying on. That's it. Just a little bit of that applied directly will solve all my problems in no time flat. Amazing. I know. Isn't I've never even heard of it. It's weird that people don't know this. Yeah. I'm glad we tell them every week. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not going to believe this, Leslie. Our fiends can give us this priceless ingredient and it's totally free. Shut the front door. Yeah. How? But how? You must be asking yourself and yeah. with good reason. Yeah. Well, I will tell you. Okay. Simply head on over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. It really is the only way to move this podcast forward. Ratings and reviews equal attention. Attention equals support. And support equals more and better content for all of you. I like that. Yeah, it's nice. But if you just cannot wait for more We Would Be Dead in your life, don't worry. You don't have to. Wonderful. Yeah. You can support us over on Patreon. Patreon. That's a hearty one this week. There for just a few dollars a month, you will gain access to our entire catalog of 30-minute horror movies, 
special mini-sodes, our weekly after show, Host Mortem, mm. which is available in both video and audio formats. That's nice. Yeah, maybe you want to see our faces. Maybe you don't. Both are okay. I love an option. I know, me too. But like, you should want to see our faces. Aren't you curious? Yeah. They might look terrifying. I always say they are. (laughs) You'll also get a special gift in the mail from us. You'll get opportunities to be involved in giveaways, merch deals, and on-air toast dedicated just to you and more. In all honesty, we are here thanks to our patrons. So come on over and be part of the We Would Be Dead family. And our patrons were, uh, their generous funds updated our equipment yet again this week. Yes. So. Thank you. Thank you, patrons. And if all of that is a little too much for you, you can simply follow us on social media. We are at WouldBeDeadPod anywhere and everywhere you get your content. You can like our posts, share our posts, like and share our posts. That's my favorite one. It is a really good one. Mm -hmm. You can leave a comment. That's also good. Post about your favorite episode. Let us know when you're listening. Tell a friend. Tell a neighbor. Tell that guy down at the end of your block who still sells weed out of his garage, even though you can purchase it legally in most places now. He just winks and kind of refers to himself as a small business owner, (laughs) which is kind of funny. So like we just let him live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's his name? His name would be Corey. 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 Such a holdover name. I know. Not a lot of Corey's these days. No. He's like, hey, come buy weed from my backyard. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. Just feels like such a young name. So then when you see it like in an older person. Yeah. They're clearly middle-aged. Yeah. Yep. Then your friends and Corey can become fiends. And I, I, I'll i party with him. He's fun. I know. Corey's a Why good not? time. We like Corey. A little burnt out, but always fun. Yeah. Yeah. Then we can all hang out together. Yeah. Delightful. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> and I think that is all I have in the way of announcements for this week. Leslie, do you have anything to add before we begin? No. Nothing. All right, then. On with the show. Okay, so this case comes with a pretty heavy preface. First of all, get ready for your new obsession, as I mentioned before, because there is more information out there on this case than anything I have ever researched. And that includes extremely famous and well-worn staple cases like Dahmer and Bundy. This has the, there's so much. And clearly we can include it all. I mean, we, it's enough that we ended up doing two parts on this, but there are like millions of parts worth of information. But our job here is to get all of the most important details across and then send you over to the people who have done a lion's share of the work. You can rabbit hole this case for months and still not know every single detail. So I got my information this week from several sources that have to be mentioned. Firstly, I discovered the case on Katherine Townsend's unbelievably detailed podcast devoted to it. Well, season one is devoted to it. And it's called Helen Gone. Um, I also read all of her like online documentation of the case, which led me to a Facebook board called Unsolved Murder of Rebecca Gould, which I know sounds like a hokey source. Sourcing a Facebook board is usually pretty questionable. Right. It can be even worse than sourcing like a Reddit feed. Mm. However, in this case, that's not what we're dealing with. This board is run by investigative journalist George Jared and forensic scientist Jennifer Buchholz. Now, George was the first journalist called to Rebecca's case. Like as soon as she went missing, he was called and he's been with the case since then in 2004. 
And Jennifer's unique knowledge um, of forensic science drew her to this case, a case that is seemingly very solvable, but curiously ill-investigated. Okay. So after listening to Helen gone, Jennifer was drawn into this. So now they're all kind of together. Catherine Townsend is also a very active and contributing member of this board, as are many members of Rebecca's family, members of the community, and people who have been working on this case for a great many years. This board contains a vast array of official documents. They're all marked by the Arkansas State Police or investigators. There are crime scene photos. This is the only place you can see like all of the crime scene photos, Not nothing with a body. They're very mm-hmm. respectful. All of the police interviews basically are printed there. All of the forensic analysis results, all of the polygraph results, all of the notes from detectives and analysis by experts. Honestly, I've never seen anything like this before. And I have seen a lot of Facebook boards devoted to devastating murders. Right. This is wild. It's so different. I mean, like this week you can take a look at it, and mm-hmm. obviously, but there's there's so much to pour over. When I clicked on it, I was like, a Facebook board. There's going to be a little bit from family. There's going to be a little bit from people in the community. It's nice to get quotes from people who were there. Mm-hmm. And I was immediately totally overwhelmed by the amount of information I was presented with. Wow. Yeah. And I knew I was like, well, I can't, I can't write this until I have read this stuff too. Mm-hmm. So it definitely caught me way off guard. And this, these people have been doing the damn thing. I mean, they've been getting it done. Forget Facebook even. I've never seen anything like this online at all. Because usually even if you're on like a Crime Stoppers board or Reddit, like I said, or um, Web Sleuths, there's still a lot of like weird rogue theories. Yeah. And people ha- have like conspiracies they want to talk about. Mm-mm, this is very pointed. And the okay. conversation is driven by professionals. Okay. Yeah. And they so they probably actually monitor it. Yeah. They, oh, no, they're very active. Yeah. To like the minute. They're okay. always on. Um, so this is no like shady, shady deal. It is crowdsourcing done in concert with professional analysis and hard investigative journalism. And it is remarkably effective. Yeah. Now, I I really think that this kind of team effort between internet investigation enthusiasts, the victim's family and professionals like this could really be the future of cold case investigation. Mm. If and only if law enforcement is willing to kind of let this kind of thing happen. Right. It did take a while for them to get to where they are now. Okay. The original investigators on this had no interest in being involved with journalists and stuff. This is a development that happened a few years ago. But again, it's transparent now. It wasn't then, but we'll, we'll get to that later. I have also listened to George and Jennifer's podcast called Diamond State Murder Board. There's a bunch of information on there as well. I've read all of Jennifer's work on um, online. She has a bunch of essays and analysis she wrote. <laughs> she also was on another podcast called Break the Case where she discussed this case. There, there, there's just, there's so much. And I encourage you guys to go out and explore. I will provide links for everything. Get on that Facebook board, get reading, share your thoughts. They will listen. And the, in their opinion, and I love this, every eye on the material tends to see it a different way. And you never know which way is going to unlock something new. Right. And that attitude is is what got the case where it is today. So I think that's, I thought it was so fascinating. So do we not have like a resolve? Yes and no. Oh, man. Yeah. So where is the case today? Well, it's complicated. Technically, we can call this case solved. There's been an arrest and a conviction. But is it solved? Most 
No, most experts will agree that the answer is not totally. This confession is not everything we want it to be. And the conviction is good, but it feels like it's not all. We don't feel like we have the whole story. And updates are still happening every day. Okay. So I'm just going to tease you with that information. I know, I'm teased. Mm-hmm. Excellent. <laughs> so then let's get everybody up to speed and start the story from the beginning, shall we? Great. All right, then. <laughs> I just had to add all of that because <gasps> this is so, so many people are involved in this yeah, yeah, and I yeah. can't just be like, I did this work. You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> I get it. So late September is a time of year in Mountain View, Arkansas that can be very warm. A lot of people refer to it as Indian summer, a term that is most certainly racist, but has also been altered by time. And I didn't know this. In its original state, the term Indian summer was thought to refer to an old indigenous legend that tells of warm weather returning for a stretch of early autumn after the first frost has already occurred. This sudden patch of warm was seen as a gift from the gods to either warriors or men who had survived great misfortune like a loss of crops, as it would help them survive the oncoming winter. Hmm. The term just meant an island of warm between frosts, basically. Okay. That is something that is very useful when you want things to grow, and it's also useful when you want them to rot. Mm. September 20th, 2004 was no exception to this rule. Mountain View is a small rural town located in the Ozarks. Oh, like the television show you're probably saying? Maybe I wouldn't know. I don't watch that one. But if that image does it for you, I say go for it. It was warm in Mountain View with temperatures well into the 80s, and the sun beat down through a cloudless sky. 22-year-old Rebecca Gould woke up early that morning to take her on-again, off-again boyfriend, Casey McCullough, to work at Sonic. Rebecca had come home from college for the weekend and was staying with Casey, so she agreed to give him a ride to work. I feel like Sonic is so 2004. (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree. Now, when I see one now, I'm like, you're still here? I know. All right. (laughs) We never had one in my town. And so we got commercials for them, but we would have had to travel really far to go. So when I moved here and we had one down the street for a while. For a little while and then it went away. I was like, oh my God. And then I finally got to eat it and was like, oh, this isn't that good. I mean, you could get a corn dog, which is fun. Oh, I never got that. I just was really excited for the tots. Tots are good. Yeah. Love a tot. Anyway, Rebecca pulled on a pair of mud jeans. Is that taking you back? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And a yellow terry cloth jacket and pink fuzzy slippers. It's early in the morning, so she just like threw on her slippers to get in the car. Um, Then she dropped Casey off at Sonic, and with the day before her, she decided to stop at the Possum Trot Convenience Store for a breakfast sandwich and a coffee. That's a great name for a store. That's wonderful. It's so good. It's like a gas station and convenience store. Yeah. Obviously. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is very, it's very folksy though. I didn't know possums could trot, but um, I really want to see it now. I know. Love to see them like. Knew about foxes, but. Yeah. Possums. Possums. That's a new dance. Yeah, it could be. (laughs) I wonder what it would look like. Somebody do it for us. Great. Okay. (laughs) Now these kind of mornings are good. You know, when you wake up early, but you don't really have to go to work. So you're like, huh, I'm up. You find yourself with this bright expanse of time and you can. Give yourself the luxury of grabbing breakfast and just kind of being like, oh, I can sit and eat this. I'm not in a rush. It's nice. And I feel like that's the kind of morning she was experiencing. Rebecca went back to Casey's house to pack up her things and get her little dog, Lady. Then she was supposed to pick up her sister, Danielle, 
who had also come home for the weekend with her. So they had driven down together. Um, And then they were supposed to go back to Fayetteville, where they lived and went to school. They went to a uh, community college back up there. Meanwhile, while Rebecca's basking in the glow of her sandwich and coffee, Danielle was packed up and ready to go. She was staying at her boyfriend's house. So they kind of like came in together, went to their separate friend groups, and then were going to go back together. Danielle sat at her boyfriend's house, patiently waiting for Rebecca's black 1997 Chevy Cavalier with dark tinted windows to pull up so that the two could fill each other in on their weekends as they made the three-hour drive back to their shared apartment. But the morning came and went, and Rebecca never showed, which is not like her in regards to her sister. She was very reliable with her sister. The two of them were only a year apart. They were, like, also best friends. Mm. Rebecca also wasn't answering her phone either. And this started to make Danielle nervous. So she called Casey, who did not answer his phone either. And then some of Rebecca's friends, who said they hadn't seen her recently. She then called their parents, and everyone began to look for Rebecca, because this was very out of character. Yeah. Calls were flying all over, but nobody seemed to know where Rebecca was. Rebecca's mother, Shirley, had spoken to her at 8 p.m. the previous night, for just five minutes before Rebecca's phone ran out of minutes and the call was disconnected. I do not miss that part of 2004 (laughs) at all. I think everyone who listens to us will likely know what that means, but just in case you're very young, (laughs) many, many years ago in the days before smartphones, cell phone plans were not always unlimited. Or if you did have unlimited, you were like bougie because they were more expensive. And so you would only pay for a for like pre-prescribed amount of minutes per month. So you had like 200 minutes or something. That's all you got unless you paid for more. And not everyone had text capability either. Mm -hmm. Uh, And most phones didn't have cameras. So this was a time when people were using their phone to call people to communicate. Mm -hmm. We always had like the, it was like free to call after nine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But all plans didn't have that. Not all plans. If you had a basic plan, what you probably had and I didn't research this, but I, I think I'm remembering correctly, it was something like 200 minutes a month, mm-hmm. which is not that long. No. At all. Yeah. And then if you wanted more, you could pay for right. more and add it on. It's basically like having a calling card all the time. Right. And that's what it would be similar to like us having our data cards now. Yeah. So some people only have so much data. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So there were limits put on phones back then. Listening to Spotify all day off of Wi-Fi, that data is going to go real fast. Yeah, it's going to go quick. So um, it's also worth mentioning that in this portion of the story, when we're back in 2004, we're not going to be talking about Facebook messages or texts because they just didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's not a missing piece. It's just not of the time, which I know seems impossible to us now, right? (laughs) So at this point, they think that is the last time anyone has heard from Rebecca. It would have been 8 o'clock the previous night when she talked to her mother really quick. And then everyone's drawing a blank. Mm -hmm. By Tuesday morning, when Rebecca still could not be reached, so they went overnight, which to me is probably, I can't imagine, like your kid's missing. I know. Overnight. So by Tuesday morning, Rebecca's mother was like, we're not going to just keep looking. We got to call 911. So she calls 911 and she does a very smart thing. She asks to be transferred to the Izzard County Sheriff's Department. Now, um, the trailer home that Casey lived in was in Izzard County, so it's like a town over from Mountain View. He was um, in the Melbourne area. Mm-hmm. But these are like neighboring towns. So nothing is really that far apart, just so we all know. 
And then 911 obliged. Like, okay, we'll connect you to the sheriff's department. Didn't know you didn't have to look it up. You just call 911 and be like, I need to talk to these cops. And they're like, all right. So they did. Shirley then explained what had happened to the sheriff's department and asked for the police to go to Casey's home to perform a wellness check on her daughter. I can't begin to describe how smart I think this is. She didn't just call general 911 and say, my daughter's missing. So she had to like come in and file a report and go through a bunch of red tape. She didn't just say her daughter was missing. She specifically asked them to go to this location and look for her. Right. So I give her a lot of credit for that. That's, that's very good thinking. Mm-hmm. We should all remember as such, just in case. Yeah. We ever need it. The more specific you can be, the better. So apparently Shirley had finally gotten in touch with Casey earlier that morning when she called him at Sonic at work. So she called his work to talk to him. And she said, you know, Rebecca seems to be missing where is she? She was with you. And he said that he had not heard from Rebecca since she dropped him off at work on Monday morning. He had stayed at a friend's house on Monday night and assumed that Rebecca had just driven back to Fayetteville with Danielle or was still sleeping at his house. He just hadn't been there. Okay. Shirley told him that she had never shown up to pick up Danielle and no one had heard from her. This was alarming for Casey to hear Mm -hmm. and he began to worry, but he wouldn't have to worry for long. The local sheriff's department had agreed to perform this wellness check on Rebecca and Shirley told them where they could find Casey because he is apparently the person who lives permanently at this trailer. And if you're going to be let into a residence, it's better to have the residence permission. Right. So they stop at Sonic on their way to see if Casey would help them by answering some questions and possibly letting them into the trailer if they needed to get in or giving whatever kind of permission they need and probably get some tots. Yes, who doesn't love tots, right? <laughs> so the police and Casey, Casey agrees. He's like, okay, I'm, I'm coming. And they all caravan back to his trailer. Um, they find that at this point, other members of the team had actually already entered the property. So they weren't really waiting for permission. I suppose after they knocked on the door and got no answer, they were like, well, we have to go in because someone could be injured inside. Yeah. But it wasn't that difficult to get in because both doors were broken and shoddily secured. So the front door of this trailer has no doorknob. Oh. And they lock it by just using the deadbolt. Okay. And the back door is totally non-functional, like the the doorknob and like keeping it locked. So they have hasps, like little claspy things. Okay. On the on the door to like keep it shut. Mm. So they have jury rigged everything in this house. Apparently, Casey said that he and Rebecca broke that door, and then they kind of put it back together as best they could, so that he didn't have to tell his parents. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that. That tracks to me. Yeah, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you yeah. guys are young and live there and you think you don't need a doorknob. Yeah. Cool. All right. So it wasn't hard for the cops to get in. There's pictures of this back door with the broken hasps. They probably gave it one swift kick and it opened right up. Yeah, for sure. Um, so at first, the police walked through the trailer looking for Rebecca. They were hoping they were going to find her in there, maybe sleeping. Maybe she had gone on a bender that weekend and she was just massively hungover. Maybe mm-hmm. she had done some drugs. Uh, Maybe she was mad at Casey and locked herself in there. We don't know. We're looking for her alive at this point in time. So when they pulled up the first round of cops, they they see her car parked at the house. They're like, okay, well, she has to be here. That's a good start, you would think. One would hope. (laughs) They knock at the door, no answer. They go inside. Once inside, they see her packed suitcases in -hmm. the front room because remember, she's going back and forth from college. They see her purse with her keys in it. They see clothing of hers all over the place. They see her makeup in the bathroom. They see her wallet and her money. Her little dog, Lady, and Casey's dog had both 
clearly been left in that trailer since the prior morning as there was dog poo all over the place. I know. know. But I will note that other than being confined to the trailer, the dogs were not Mm ill-treated in any way. So everybody can breathe a little sigh of relief. These dogs were well cared for with no injuries and had likely had been left enough food to be perfectly comfortable. Mm -hmm. Actually, Lady, Rebecca's dog, is one of the things that drew me to this case. This is the cutest dog. Oh my God, she's so cute. Rebecca is pictured in nearly every single photograph that is used for this case with a little uh, Pomeranian. Oh, I know. (laughs) She, it's so obvious that she loved that dog. There are like um, disposable camera photos that have been developed and all of those pictures are on this Facebook board and this Facebook Mm -hmm. board only. Um, But most of the things she took were just pictures of this dog. Of course. There are pictures. Yeah, it's a palm. There are pictures of her taking pictures of the dog. Yeah. So she <laughs> she loves this dog. It's clearly part of her personality. And I totally identify with that because clearly I am also a Pomeranian owner who is obsessed with her dog. <laughs> so before we get into some serious nitty gritty, I wonder, what does your chosen dog breed? Because we all have one that we really love, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. What does that say about you as a person? You know, like Rebecca and I. Yeah. As we are yeah. similar in this regard. <laughs> Leslie, do you have any insight into those things. It sounds like something you'd be an expert on. I I am, Holly. I am. Help us out. Great. Um, This was my favorite thing to do for you. I'm so glad I gave you this. (laughs) (laughs) I literally just looked at dog breeds the other day and just like wrote what I felt the owner's personality would be. I love this. Oh, so this is according to Leslie. This is according to Leslie. I love it. All right. Tell us. (laughs) Give us all your thoughts. Okay. So golden retrievers. Okay. If you own a golden retriever, you're confident, responsible, in good shape, have or want a family, and joined your community adult rec league with games every Thursday night. Sounds right. Yeah. You're good at this. <laughs> if you own an Australian Shepherd, and mind you, these are all pure breeds. Yes. No like half and halves or mutts. No right? half and halves here. No. <laughs> so if you own an Australian Shepherd, you wear tie-dye and enjoy jam bands. You're always willing to be the DD as you like to make sure everyone gets home safe. Nice. Yeah. Probably have a Frisbee in the back of your Jeep. 100% hacky yeah. sack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you own a Husky, you're athletic, have a type A personality, like going on long hikes, always down for a weekend activity, and always have a project because you can't keep still. Yeah. They talk a lot too, Huskies. Yeah. <laughs> oh! <laughs> If you have a poodle, you're sophisticated, cultured, mm. and a little bougie. Yeah. You look good on the outside, but you're a hot mess on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> if you own a pug, you're silly, caring, like to stay home and read books, and have asthma. Yeah. <laughs> if you own a Bichon Frise, you love your family and need to be close to them. Home is where your heart is. You like things organized, and you do what you want and cannot be tamed. And most of the time, you stare out the window and cry. (laughs) (laughs) If you own a bulldog, you have spurts of high energy, very competitive. You try to come off as intimidating, but you're actually a softie. You love a cozy night in, but if you hear DMX, you're ready to go hard. Guys, you know Leslie wants a bulldog, right? Yeah. This this is Leslie describing herself. I also just described my mother-in-law on the top one with the Yes. Oh, that's right. (laughs) Bella's a Bichon. Yeah. You do what you want and you can't be tamed. She's the one that stares out the window and cries. <laughs> she doesn't, though. This oh. is why I did this. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Not Margie, the dog. I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the dog does that. If you own a pit bull, you're a good parent and or friend, 
and you don't like to judge others because you know how it feels. Oh, okay. If you own a corgi, your Instagram is on point and you have a good ass. They do have bunny little butts. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, last one. If you're a Pomeranian owner, you're very passionate, you're fiercely loyal to those closest to you, you're happy to go along with whatever the group is doing, and you have anxiety, and now so does your dog. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yep, that's right. <laughs> and you're very luxurious. Yeah. <laughs> Poms do not like exercise at no, all. No, they don't. They hate it. Mm-hmm. They want to sit on a cushion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for those insights. Yeah. Okay. Rebecca and I have that in common. Yeah. Okay. So now that we've had a little brief respite with cute little dogs, um, and I'll make sure that the photo suite includes a picture of Lady or Five because she's adorable. (laughs) We'll get back to the case. So the trailer that we're in at this point, I should describe it to you guys a little bit. It's a single wide. Most trailers you hear to referred to as the double wide. Yeah. But this is smaller, obviously Mm -hmm. single. It's um, 15 by 70 feet on the inside in total. Wow. Yeah, and it has about uh, 1,120 feet of actual livable space. It has three bedrooms. Really, it has two and a little computer room, but they put a single bed in it. And if you've never seen a single bed, it's smaller than a twin. They are little. It also has a living room, a kitchen, and a bathroom, which is, that's a lot of rooms in a little bit of space. So I imagine that it's kind of cramped, you know? Yeah. And for all of you guys who are visual learners out there, or at least visual in your mind, I say trailer because it is a trailer home, but it's not, it's not on wheels. It's not a mobile home. This is one of those ones that's like fixed in the ground. Yeah. You could pick it up with a truck and tow it away if you wanted to, but it doesn't drive. Roll away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, just to make that a little more clear. It also has like a deck built on in the back. Okay. So it's, it's like a little house. Mm -hmm. Um, And the deck leads to kind of an overgrown backyard. And this trailer is out in the middle of nowhere down a dirt road. Now, you can see it from like the road and stuff, but you wouldn't if you weren't looking for it. Let's put it that way. And this these towns are very, very rural. It's very spread out. It's not very urban. There's not a lot of not a lot going on. So you're you're out there in the country. But there are neighbors. They're not super close, but they they do have neighbors. So I would describe this as desolate, but not solitary, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. On the first pass through the house, the cops just saw a place where Rebecca had clearly lived at one point. She had returned that Monday morning, clear that she had come back there because her car was there and her cell phone was sitting on the seat. Everything indicated that she had been there, but then suddenly just vanished without a trace, which is very strange. So the cops are walking through the house. One of them walks into the backyard. And in doing so, this officer notices a large smear of blood on the bottom step of the deck. So he's like, well, that's curious. Little curious at the time because everybody in this area is also a hunter. Yeah. So you would see that and be like, and, and I don't know the case he necessarily was, but if you were a police officer in that area, you might be like, oh, well, it's in the backyard. It's not, it's not hugely alarming, but maybe I'll take a, little bit of a closer look. So then upon closer inspection, he saw that there was more blood on the steps and on the railing supports low to the ground. So he thought, okay, this looks like something was pulled down the stairs. That's what this kind of looks like. So he decides he, he better go back inside and do a second look. Upon further inspection, there was actually blood 
everywhere in this trailer. I mean, it's a bloody crime scene. I, it's hard to imagine not seeing it and being in that, that house for a little while. There are spots on the carpets. There are spots on the bathroom linoleum and the spots on the carpets, they're not small. They're, they're bigger spots. There are smudges and smears on the baseboards. There are spots on shoes in the bedroom. There are spots on a pile of Rebecca's clothing in the bedroom. And there is a large amount of blood in the bedroom that Rebecca and Casey shared. Mm. The mattress has a large spot of blood on it, and the blood is also spattered on the bedroom walls. It has soaked through the carpet down to the baseboards next to the bed. The pillows also had large blood spots on them as well. So if the bedroom is so bloody, why hadn't the police seen that at first? Well, for starters, they're not looking very hard. At this point, they they weren't. But also, there had been some attempt to clean up made. Okay. The mattress in the bedroom Rebecca had been staying in was stripped and flipped. So all the bedding is off of it and it's upside down. And the pillows had been shoved underneath the bed. Mm. Seeing the bare mattress and all the blood, the officer on hand had begun to connect some dots. So, you know, when they went in and saw blood on the floor, they picked up the mattress because people are going to flip the mattress. Yeah. And so the cop, like, alarm bells go off in his head and he says, okay, if there's no sheets, where are the sheets? So he goes to check the washing machine. Smart cop. And notices that it seems to have been kind of stopped mid-cycle. This is all I can, I am, this is a... This is a supposition I'm making because the police report that there is water in the washing machine as well as the the stuff they find. And in my experience, if the cycle is done, there's no water in the washing machine. Yeah. So some people suspect that it was running when he got there, but that also seems kind of odd to me because if it was still running, I don't know if they would have found what they found. So anyway, he opens the washer and inside of it is like a bloody mess. Yeah. The water is red and bloody. The bed clothes from that bed are in there and everything is very bloody. The, you know, the little spot where you can put poor bleach in? Yeah. That's just clogged with coagulated blood. Mm. Blood residue had collected in all the little seams to the top of the washer. So, you know, like little corners, they all had blood residue in them. And the dryer was filled with freshly washed towels, like a ton of towels. There were a large amount of cleaning products on the counter in the kitchen. And clearly this all adds up to the fact that a crime had occurred and somebody tried to cover it up. Mm -hmm. This was looking a lot less like a missing persons case at this point and a lot more like a homicide. But we don't know. There's no body. We just have copious blood evidence that someone tried to hide. Mm -hmm. The local sheriff's department knew that they were in over their head at this point. So they immediately called the Arkansas State Police, who arrived as quickly as they could, which was pretty quickly, and immediately declared the house a crime scene and taped it off. This is also a good on the Arkansas, um, the, the local sheriff's department, because a lot of times they will hold on until the very last minute before calling in other police departments. We, we've seen that before. But they immediately were like, no, 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 we need, we need the state police right now. So that's good. The state police tape, tape everything off. And at that moment, Danielle pulls into the driveway, which is awful. Having heard nothing of her sister at this point, She doesn't know what's happening. She had borrowed a car or taken her parents' car, I'm not sure which one, and driven over to Casey's house to see if she could find Rebecca there herself. Right. And when she arrived, she was met with the beginning of an 18-year nightmare. Mm. For seven days, they searched for Rebecca. They papered the town with missing posters. Though they had no proof she hadn't survived the attack that had clearly occurred, it became increasingly obvious to the police 
at least, that they were looking for a body. Right. So police are are pretty sure that that's what they're looking for. But her family still has hope. They're putting up missing posters there and they're canvassing the town. Family members are going to every location they can find. In fact, it was her mother that discovered her last known location was the Possum Trot because she went there to ask if they would hang up a poster and ask if anybody saw Rebecca. And the cashier, who she asked, was the same cashier that was there when Rebecca had been there uh, a few days prior. And she said, oh yeah, I saw her. She, you know, that's the girl that usually comes in with Casey. So she knew Casey just to see him. She recognized them as they had been in a lot. She's like, she got a cappuccino from the, you know, she said the machines that made cappuccinos were big back then. Yeah. So she got a cappuccino and a breakfast sandwich. I said, hello. I actually went outside behind her to get a newspaper. I saw her get into her car and drive in this direction. And the direction was back towards Casey's trailer. So her mother found that out just by canvassing. So they're looking. Um, It is at this point that reporter George Jared was contacted by her family. George had just started working for the local newspaper, and this is the first murder he was ever called to cover. So he began covering the case immediately, and he, he was pretty involved with the family. He went out on search parties with them and with her friends and members of the community. Police had search parties. The fire department was involved. There were concerned citizens. Everybody was trying to find her, except Casey. Hmm. He never searched. He never went on any of the searches. None of the McCulloughs did, his family. But they weren't disagreeable when asked questions. They, they answered the police. They came in to be interviewed. They just, uh, they didn't help look for her, which was strange. Yeah, but I don't know this case at all. Mm-hmm. So where I'm sitting right now, mm-hmm. yeah. in it, like, why isn't Casey the number one suspect? Keep asking that question. Because you should be asking it forever. Like, I'm confused why anybody thought, like, he was, that was his trailer. Right. I'll get to that in a minute. But yes, you are so right to ask that. No, if you have more to ask, go ahead. Well, no, because I, I almost feel like I keep missing something. Like, okay, wait, who is this person? And then, wait, he is living there, right? Like, that was. You're going to feel that way the entire time. (laughs) And it's good. That's how you should feel. Okay. And then can you just remind me to, so the. The cops went to Sonic. Yes, and picked him up. And picked him. So I guess one No, 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 team. but before, before. Mm-hmm. So the cops went to Sonic before when they were looking for Rebecca. They were going to do the wellness check. And you said that they were like, oh, let's yes. go talk to him just to let I think us one in. team went to get him and one team went directly to the trailer. Oh, okay. So this so is all happening two. at yeah, the same they time. They all converged okay. when they searched. Because also, because there's an overnight. So he would have had to go home. Do we oh, know yes. where he was? Oh, uh, we'll talk about that soon. Okay. Yeah, we we have to trust him though. That's the thing. We have to trust him on a lot of these and trust his friends. Okay. So friends do claim that Casey was very distraught. He seemed to be heartbroken. He said he loved Rebecca. And though they weren't together at the time of her disappearance, it wasn't by his choice. She had broken up with him. So he was like a puppy dog. She was still staying with him. And she dropped him off at work that morning. She did. And they were sharing a bed. Yeah. That's the other thing. We'll talk about it a little more in the second episode, but she did live in that trailer. We come to find out that like she had been on again, off again with Casey for about a year Mm -hmm. at that point. And they, um, and he had, he had access to this trailer. And so she ended up basically moving in. So that was like her home base aside from her apartment in Fayetteville. So she still had like lots of stuff there that stayed there all the time. Again, I'll explain more of that later, but just that's worth mentioning right now. So 
Then on September 27th, everything changed. So she went missing on the 20th. This is seven days later. A team of searchers was out by the, by Highway 9 looking into a woodsy scenic overpass by the side of the road. It's not an overpass. It's like a stretch of road that just has like a pretty scenic area. So a lot of people will, it's like a nice drive, but also it's a place where people like throw trash out their window a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a remote road. There's no like buildings out there. It's just like wilderness and road. Um, and it has a rather steep embankment that leads to the woods on either side. Reporter George Jared found out about the search. So he found out that people were looking at that location that day. And he was like, oh, I'll go over and help because that was what he was doing. Now, mind you, this is the guy, this is a reporter. He doesn't know her. Her boyfriend, her, well, her friend's not boyfriend, isn't looking for her. But this reporter is doing everything he can. So when he gets to the search site, he pulls his car over and sees people kind of milling around in the grassy, brushy area next to the road. And he asks them if this is where they were searching for Rebecca. So he's like, hey, um, is this where you guys are looking for Rebecca? And one of them turned to him and said, she's right there. So it's weird. Yeah. So George turned his head to look where they were pointing and there propped up at the bottom of the, like in the embankment by a tree, she's propped up by a tree and some brush, was Rebecca's body. Oh. Yeah. I was hoping she was just like, I'm here. Hey, guys. What are you guys looking for? No. 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 She was in a seated, slumped over position, kind of caught up on a tree. And it looked as though she had just been kind of rolled down the hill. And that's where she caught. Because this is, the embankment is like a, like a hill. And there's trees and stuff at the bottom. She was wearing a black t-shirt, like a cropped kind of t-shirt and black underwear, and nothing else. Her body had very clearly been exposed to the elements for some time, and the heat and insects had destroyed a lot of her soft tissue, which is why I mentioned earlier how warm it was at this point in time. We're talking about 780-degree days, 80 or higher degree days. But it was her. There was no mistaking it. Uh, George Jarrett also says that one side of her face was considerably more desiccated than the other. So you could kind of see some of her face. Also, like, make a mental note of the fact that I did tell you the clothing she had on that morning, too. And it wasn't a black t-shirt and underpants. It was the terry cloth jacket, the yellow jacket, mud jeans, bedroom slippers. So there's that. So this spot where she's found is near the Devil's Knob Wildlife Management Area. So it's also near, like, a preserve. This will give you an idea of how remote it is. And if that sounds familiar to you, it's probably because it sounds an awful lot like The Devil's Knot, which is the title of a book and film about the Robin Hood Hills murders, which occurred in the woods just a couple hours drive away from where Rebecca was found. A lot of the wilderness out there has devil's names, devil's knob, devil's backbone. That's what all that stuff is. You name it. And you might know the Robin Hood Hills murders better as the source of a modern day witch hunt For some young boys, the media refers to as the West Memphis Three. Yeah. Yeah. That, there are same people, like officials involved in these two cases. It's kind of weird. And this is a case that I'm like slowly coming around to the idea of covering after the weeks that I have just spent looking at the disturbing Arkansas Police Department. Mm. And I do have a possible connection to Damian Eccles, but... That is neither here nor there. The same medical examiner actually worked on both of these cases. Okay. Yeah. A man named Frank Peretti, but that's just a little trivia. Frank didn't do anything wrong here. He did a fine job, but we'll get to that soon enough. Anyway, 
I wanted to just give you this information, one, because it's interesting, and two, because it demonstrates how kind of remote we're, we're dealing with. And it gives you an idea of the vibe out there. Medical examiners were quick to recover Rebecca and perform an autopsy. And some information about the crime scene was starting to trickle back in. An autopsy revealed that Rebecca had, quote, died of blunt force injuries of the head. It went on to say that she had been identified by dental records and that, quote, a relatively high degree of decomposition was noticed. In general, this was consistent with death having taken place at or around the time of her disappearance. It was further noted that the amount of decomposition involved in the head was disproportionately advanced compared to most of the rest of the body. Overall examination of the body did not reveal any evidence of penetrating trauma. There was no evidence of significant blood force injury involving the thorax. An assessment for the presence or absence of trauma related to sexual assault could not be performed due to the advanced degree of decomposition present. In light of the suspicious nature of her disappearance, findings at the scene, and nature of her injuries, the manner of death is homicide. Okay. So let's unpack this a little bit. And I'll fill in the blanks that are in that quotation. This little piece is quoted in Helen Gone, um, and the full autopsy report text is not available. Most things are, that one isn't. I'm a little bit surprised, but it, it could just be to preserve dignity, and I respect that. Um, but there are plenty of summations by experts out there. We know what the findings are. I just don't have the exact words, but I can tell you what it says. So Rebecca sustained two extremely hard blows to the head with an object. Um, and these were hard enough to dis destroy her nose and crack her skull in several places. So this is intense. And it's just two hits. These injuries would have caused all the blood we saw. Yeah. And ultimately were her cause of death. Which sound, this sounds like a struggle occurred, right? Sounds like she was in some kind of fight. But the description goes on to tell us that she didn't have any other injuries, just these two blows to the head. She had no defensive wounds that they could see. I mean, again, she's pretty desiccated, so little things wouldn't be obvious, but nothing, no like bigger defensive wounds, no bone bruising. There's no evidence of further violence. There was no damage to her throat or neck. Remember that and no indication that she had been restrained in any way. Hmm. Material was taken from under her fingernails, but in the end, it did not include any DNA. Her sister commented that the clothing she was found in, the underwear and t-shirt, was likely what she would have slept in. This all indicates that at the time of her death, Rebecca was either taken by surprise, complete and total surprise, or she knew and trusted her attacker well enough to be in like her sleeping clothes and not expect anything coming. These are important distinctions yeah. as well. The report also says that decomposition was too severe to carry out a sexual assault examination. This is due, um, and this is a little gross, but it's due to insect damage. So she was sitting, she was in a sitting position, which would have put the areas needing examination directly in contact with the ground which I don't think I need to further explain. She was just in underwear. So that would have been where a lot of the, you know, desiccation was occurring, especially with the help of insects. Mm -hmm. A toxicology report on Rebecca's body came up totally clean. Could there have been something in her system that evaporated in the week she was out in the elements? Maybe. Opiates are detectable for a month to 10 years. So they would have found opiates if they were in okay. her system. Cocaine is detectable in hair for seven to 10 days after use, but much less time. Um, in a live body after use and the amount of time it remains in a dead body in tissues that are not hair is debatable. Okay. 
Uh, meth is detectable in hair for two to three months, but similarly in other tissues, it doesn't always stick around. Alcohol disappears quickly, and the jury is wildly out on THC, but it is detectable in hair for 90 days. Right. But postmortem toxicology isn't always performed on hair. They don't usually do that kind of testing. Sometimes it's on remaining blood or urine or internal organs. And the lifespan of those substances in those things is way shorter. Nevertheless, the only thing detectable in Rebecca's system was the alcohol her body had produced in the process of decomposition. So she's not on any drugs. But I find this suspect because there are lots of people who testified to the fact that she was smoking weed at the time. Yeah. But again, if they didn't test her hair, they may not have found that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The final thing we know is that a weapon was used, as I mentioned, to end Rebecca's life. And that weapon was a piano leg. We know this because according to Casey, there were only a few things missing from his home after the attack. So this clearly isn't a robbery. Nothing of value is missing. Um, The only thing missing is one black suitcase and the leg of an old upright piano that was in his living room. Now, I found this a little bit confusing because without a leg, won't a piano topple over? But this leg was essentially ornamental. So there's like a, it's an upright, so there's a base on it. And the leg is just kind of like that connects from the top to the bottom as a support. Okay. It's not, it's not really holding it's not it up. the main leg. No, it's not. And, and as such, it had come loose a long while ago and was therefore like really easy to pull right out. In fact, friends recall, and so does Rebecca's sister, she remembers Casey, pulling it right out and showing people, being like, look, this thing comes right out. Look at it. Yeah, that seems like somebody that owns that would know exactly what's going on. They would know that that leg was easy to pull out. Okay, unless it was already pulled out. That's the other thing. Okay. Sometimes it did jiggle loose and fall out on its own. Mm -hmm. Or maybe he had pulled it out beforehand and was just on top. Maybe. So it is at this point that I should let everyone know that the police are not revealing this information to anybody. Okay. Um, For a great many years, information about this case was extremely hard to come by. It wasn't on the internet. The information I'm giving you wasn't available to the general public before Helen Gon's premiere in 2018. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm sharing the information mostly in its original timeline just to paint everyone an accurate picture. Okay. So at this point in the timeline, authorities do not have a suspect. Oh, my God. What? Usually in cases like this, we would go right to the boyfriend did it, which is just... start there. Yes, exactly. At least start there. It's the husband did it light. But detectives say that Casey, who was not the boyfriend, by the way, just a friend with a complicated history and some benefits, um, had a, quote, airtight alibi. Okay. But I will argue that in a moment. But they just kind of seemed to like Casey. Mm. When they talked to him, they just seemed to be like, that guy couldn't hurt anybody. It's clearly not him. He loved his girlfriend, whatever. Casey said that his airtight alibi was that he had been at Sonic, right? He was at work that whole day. Mm -hmm. And then he said that Rebecca was supposed to pick him up, which is weird because she was also supposed to pick up her sister. Yeah. And she never showed up, but he just figured that she had left. He's like, oh, I guess she just just left me hanging. Okay. Okay. But I guess that's something she had done before. Like when she was like home for the weekend and then left, she didn't tell him. She just kind of left, I guess. That's what he said. So he caught a ride with his friends and went to his grandparents' house to pick up his own car, which was there. I'll explain more of this next week, but I think this is important right now. Then he went to the friend's house and they hung out and smoked weed and he ended up staying overnight there. 
So as you said, wasn't he home? Didn't he come home that night? Okay. No. He spent the night at his friend's house. And authorities during his interview were like, why? Didn't you want to like go home and see what was going on? Or just, okay, I'll argue this. Okay. Because that's not something weird to do, especially at his age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe he was like, well, I have my work clothes, whatever, and I'll just go to work the next day. Oh, that comes in. Okay. But he has a dog. And Mm -hmm. if his friend with benefits Mm -hmm. is not picking up the phone and she may have left. Yeah. What about his dog? Is he just not a good pet owner then? Is he going to attest to that? He does tell them that the cops were like, that trailer was full of dog shit. Yeah. Is that common? And he was like, yeah, they're not potty trained. They just kind of shit all over the place. How old is he again? 22. Yeah. Which it's fine. So... But in pictures, if you look at these dogs, these are like groomed like dogs. Care they're taken care of. They're not like That's what I mean, a mess. Like, that's just really shitty. And then I would think that that would speak to his character. You would think that, wouldn't you? Yeah. But it didn't. Not to the police. They were like, no, this guy definitely didn't do it. So they were like, didn't you need to like go home and get changed or whatever, anything? And at yeah. first, he will change his story later and I'll talk about it later. Okay. But at first he says he got in the car after Sonic, took off his Sonic shirt, had a shirt on underneath. And that was just how he was living his life. Yeah. Like, which all right, is fine. normal. Yeah. You're right. And you were right to make that assumption. That is what happened. This is, this is Casey's airtight alibi. Airtight. And then he was at work the next morning at Sonic. He clocked in by something like, Eight o'clock. Okay. So they're like, well, he was with these. He could never. There's no no time for errands. Mm-hmm. But we will also go on to find out that people at that Sonic left to run errands without clocking out all the time. It was like commonplace for them to do that. Yeah. So anyway, but police, they didn't care. They were not looking at Casey. They weren't looking at him. They just, okay. on site, mm-hmm. they kind of dismissed him. They were like, you couldn't have done this. Right. Okay. I could understand if at first glance they're looking at his work day mm-hmm. and then if a friend is saying like this is where he was yeah. at this time, I can understand that. But yeah, if there ends up being some more holes coming yeah, through. Yeah, an and airtight alibi, it is not. It is not an airtight alibi. That is like he has a good friend willing to... Yeah, do you have video of him places? Does he have receipts of stores he shot? Like what? I need more yeah. t- to form an airtight alibi. For that whole 24 hours, I I need more more than that. I also, yeah, I would want to be like, okay, I'm sure there's security cameras in Sonic. Not really. You don't think so? According to the evidence reports, a lot of the places in that area did not have cameras okay. at this time. Like the Possum Trot didn't. They relied on the, the cashier's mm. testimony. Oh, that's interesting. And okay. while a few people at Sonic said, and again, we're relying on fellow employees at Sonic, not yeah. not cameras. They say they saw Rebecca's car pull up. They saw Casey get out of the car that um, that Monday morning and they saw the car drive away. But another thing that should be noted is they said they think they saw her in the car, but she had heavily tinted windows. So it is possible that anyone could have been driving that car. Yeah. But she did stop at the convenience store. So I assume this was her. Mm-hmm. Some people don't. For right now, I'm going to say that I do. But anyway, we're right okay. to be concerned about okay. this. But police... <laughs> Didn't have any of those thoughts. They opt instead to pursue the angle that this crime has to be, has to be drug related. When there were no drugs in her body. Yeah, I'm sorry. I thought the record scratch was implied. Huh? What? Why did we, this, that's a leap. To demonstrate how and why drugs are such a big deal to police, even though a toxicology screen on Rebecca came out totally clean, 
We'll need to retrace Rebecca's steps to see what she did the weekend of her murder and what her life had been like leading up to this moment. Plus, we can meet some supporting characters, which is always fun. Yes. So, police also, like, ardently claimed that the only available motive for this murder was drugs and money. On- only really? is a very strong But I feel like they word. don't have anything to go on. Oh, here's the fun thing. They still don't have a motive. Okay. So... I mean, um, I feel, uh, sorry, I should take that back. I feel like they have a lot to go on, I but too. I feel like they're going on nothing. Agreed. A hundred percent agreed. <laughs> they're choosing to just not see some mm-hmm. things right now. Exactly. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to explain why they did this, okay. but it's not going to go well because it doesn't make any sense to me. So let's go back. Rebecca was born on April 4th, 1982, which makes her just four months younger than me to give you guys all a point of reference. Her mother, Shirley, and her father, Dr. Larry Gould, lived together with Rebecca and her sister, Danielle, who was just a year younger than she, as well as their older sister, Tiffany, who may have been a result of Shirley's previous marriage, but we're not totally sure about that. Mm. It doesn't matter. Just the fact that it's been stated a couple places. So when the girls were very young, Larry and Shirley did get divorced, and Shirley was awarded sole custody, which was very common then. It's still common now even though Larry sought to gain custody for himself. So he, he fought for those girls, but mom got them. The girls ended up living in a series of locations all over Arkansas, so they had to move a lot. And Larry did remain in their life. He's a good dad. This guy is a good dad, and he was a good advocate for his daughter, and, and he's very well-spoken. He's great. So because of this, you know, you move around a lot. You kind of develop sort of rebellious habits, or at least you can. Mm-hmm. Not everybody does, but Rebecca went through a very rebellious teenagehood. And she did get involved in, involved in drugs and some unsavory people. Weed was her drug of choice. Everybody says that. But Rebecca was known to do her share of party drugs if the mood was right. And by that, I mean like cocaine or ecstasy or amphetamines. Yes, sometimes meth. Not compulsively, but apparently it was there. And at that point in time, in that place, drugs were a problem. Mm. They were a big problem. So that's what was on these police officers' mind, probably, was that all problems were drug problems. And this one just fell into that. Okay. It was a lot of, a lot of the problems were opiates and meth. But again, they were not in her system anywhere. And those were the ones that would have stayed in her. Opiates would have. Mm-hmm. If it was, because the cop, one of the cops was like, yeah, um, pills were big. So like mm-hmm. selling pain medication, that kind of thing. But that mm-hmm. would have been detectable in anything mm-hmm. in her body because opiates have staying power. And it wasn't there. But Rebecca was charming and popular, and sometimes drugs can come along with that territory. If you're like a cool teen, sometimes you're the cool teen that ends up doing partying and stuff. Okay, fine. Lots of younger people dabble in drugs. And this also not to mention that Rebecca was a beautiful girl. I haven't described her up to this point, but there is no denying that. She was beautiful in like a Delia's catalog, Mm -hmm. 17 magazine kind of way, you know, like striped halter top shiny blonde hair, very highlighted and angled. Mm -hmm. She was petite, five foot two and very thin, just 102 pounds. She was like an early 2000s dream girl. Yeah. Basically. Mm -hmm. So she was also fun and friendly, but likewise fiery and independent. Everybody that knew her said that if she was met with some kind of situation where she was needed to defend herself, she would not hesitate to fight. So that's a Pomeranian owner. That is a Pomeranian <laughs> owner. And and also something to be noted, like if someone came into her home and was threatening her, mm-hmm. everybody said she would not have just laid down and got hit in the head. She would have been like scratching and clawing and fighting her way back. So she was also very well liked. 
especially by local boys. Yeah, obviously. If she needed something, it was pretty likely that she could get it for free from one of her many admirers. Mm -hmm. So we have that kind of thing going on too. And she was never short on admirers. Um, But she did have pretty steady boyfriends from her sophomore year in high school until just shortly before her death. And that's about seven years for those keeping track. She was um, dating a young man named Justin. So keep Justin in the back of your mind. But she was also kind of a free spirit and didn't really like being tied down totally to one person or the other. She was also like a teenager, young adult. And this is where Casey came in. A year before the murder, Rebecca met Casey at Sonic. She was also working there at the time as a car hop. Yes. I know. And he was a burger cook. So for anybody who doesn't know, a car hop is a roller skating waitress. This is, I wanted this job so bad. It's cool. I know. And they were always like good on their roller skates too. So she has a roller skater and a Pomeranian owner. Are we yeah. the same person? I think so. I don't know. They're, you're all the same. We're very similar. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, she met Casey, who was a sensitive musician type. He played in a band and he wrote poems and he was always found strumming a guitar. Mm-hmm. And he looked like every other conventionally attractive early aughts white stoner with a Freddie Prince Jr. haircut and jeans that hung off his skinny little waist. And we all would have eaten that shit right up. <laughs> Am I right? You're not wrong. I know. Let's not lie. That At that point in time, that kid, yeah, he was it for a lot of us. We were going to fix him. Yeah. We're going to listen to his music and fix him right up. Listen, I met my husband when I was 22. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> and he... He was playing he was, his guitar. He was, <laughs> he was kind of this. All yeah. right. Okay. Much better though. Yeah, for sure. I guess. I don't know. Um, I, I can't. I don't know, I don't know what, what. I don't know what the end game is here for Casey. So. I can't speak to the quality of his musicianship, but I yeah. wonder what he might have been playing while half stoned and watching <laughs> rented movies. Do you have any guesses, Leslie? Yeah. Um. Probably. So in two thousand four. Let's see. Definitely some Goo Goo Dolls. Maybe Iris. Oh, God. Right? Um, <laughs> I have a fun story about that song. <laughs> when, the summer it came out, um, MTV's, I, guess, I think it was like TRL. It was at this like summer house. They were filming in Seaside. Yeah. And I am actually on the show being like man on the street <laughs> interviewed to request that specific song. That's hilarious. They didn't even... They, it looks like people are like clamoring to request yeah. these songs. They weren't. They gave you a choice. Yeah. They approached me and my friends are like, you guys want to be on camera? We were like, yes. <laughs> and they said, okay, you can request these three songs. Everybody pick one. And I was like, I'm deep. So Goo Goo Dolls. Yeah. That's so funny. That makes so yeah. much more sense. Because I was just like, why are they always requesting the same song? <laughs> it's just the top songs. Yeah. They told you what to request. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, definitely some Matchbox 20. Maybe 3 a.m. or push. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. Push you, um, A-round. Yes. <laughs> A-round. Probably, yeah. <laughs> Probably would have gotten really deep with some Pink Floyd, like Wish You Were Here, maybe. Maybe. I don't know, I don't know that this is the vibe know. these people are carrying. I know, but it's just like, these are the songs, you know? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Blackbird. Maybe. Yeah, yeah you could have <laughs> gone classic. Um, But Keen, Somewhere Only We Know. Okay. That's like yeah, yeah, deep yeah. And everyone would sing it, I would think. Yeah. Someday by Nickelback, it feels like maybe that's where this vibe I, is going. I agree with you. 
I think yeah. that was there probably. Yeah. Um, maybe some Lifehouse, Hanging by a Moment. There you go. I would have loved that one. Mm-hmm. That would have gotten me. And then like, anyway, here's Wonderwall. Every time. <laughs> yeah. Every time here's Wonderwall. <laughs> yeah. So I, I know. There's so many that are popping in, but. I know. And that's, that's what we're going for with this specific guy. He was yeah. the like, I'm going to play a song. And girls were like, Okay, yes, you are. Ooh, Creed. Yeah, there's probably a lot of Creed. Yeah. Definitely a lot of lot That's, of yeah. guys who sang in that voice. Yeah. You know the voice. My thumb's wide open. That's the one. <laughs> yep. <laughs> probably a lot of that going on. Um, And Casey also had an added bonus. As I mentioned before, he basically li- had his own place, which is a 22-year-old who is supporting themselves ostensibly working at Sonic. Yeah. Man, that's, that's a lot. Those were the times. I know. I would love to be able to own, to even rent a yeah. trailer mm-hmm. while working at Sonic today. He didn't even have to I pay rent. This was like, he just and had true, a place yeah. to live. Um, the, the trailer belonged to his grandfather, um, but he wasn't living there. He had like another house. The McCullough family has like property, we okay. will find out okay. in Arkansas. So they have like another piece of land that has like a cabin on it and some other outbuilding and stuff. And this piece of land has the trailer on it. They just have stuff. The grandparents live somewhere else. So for a while, Casey's father was living in that trailer and he still did on and off, but he was a long haul trucker and his home base was close to his parents' house. So that's the grandfather. So he would stay there during the week when he wasn't on overnight Okay. Um, because it was just faster. And he kept very like weird hours. Like if you're a trucker, you're not, prescribed like a normal nine to five life. Yeah. So during the week, this whole house was just Casey's. And uh, and a lot of times during the weekends too, like dad was not there a lot, but he he did have stuff there and he was there occasionally just okay. to tell you what the vibe, not the vibe, what the situation was um, in this house. And occasionally Casey's brothers also stayed in the trailer. We don't have a lot of concrete evidence on that. We know his younger brother, um, I believe his name is Corey, did spend time there. He his room was usually said to be the little computer room. So when he was there, he stayed in that like little single bed area, which kind of gives you an indication of how often he was there. Probably not all the time. Yeah. But it should be noted that he was there sometimes as what well. What was his brother's name? Corey. <laughs> I think it was Corey. That's really funny. Uh, yeah. I like, when I, I, I like when I pick out these you names. You did a good job. <laughs> I don't really talk about the brother until the next episode. Yeah. So I don't have it like concrete written down, but I, I do yeah. think it was Corey. Okay. Um, <laughs> and as I noted before, Rebecca did slowly move in there over the time that they were together because it was a place she could live free of charge and not under her parents' roof. Okay. Any, anybody's going to take that. You know what I mean? Um, and Casey was in love with Rebecca. It is clear everywhere that he was way more into this situation than she was. Mm. She was like, I can live here and like be like whatever with this guy on again, off again. I think she just kind of likes having a place to live. Yeah, for sure. To be honest. But like she was also 22 and that is all of our mindset at 22. Yeah. It's fine. No judgment at all. But, you know, she, she was very moved in there. So there's closets with her clothes in it. There's just evidence of her everywhere. She did live there sometimes. And that's what the police encountered as well. So in the summer of 2004, Rebecca's living in this trailer with Casey on and off again. Um, she also had lived with her boyfriend, Justin, in an apartment for a little while. She bounced around a lot. 
And she decided in this bouncy process that this is not how she wanted to live anymore. Yeah. She's 22. She's thinking like, I need to figure something out. I can't do this forever. So she broke up with Casey in whatever way she needed to. Then she broke up with Justin, which was this longtime relationship. So a little, little more intense. And she met up with her father and her father recounts this meeting and told her that she was really ready to get her life together. She wanted to go to college. She wanted to live a responsible and solid life. She wanted that. She wanted stability. And she told him that she wanted to pursue her dreams and she wanted to be like him. Which is like one of the last interactions that he had with his daughter. So that's precious, but also so sad. Yeah. Because she was headed in a different direction. Right. So she applied to the University of Arkansas and immediately started attending a community college in Fayetteville. So she was like trying to kind of get some classes out of the yeah. way so then she could bounce into a bigger school. And that path makes perfect sense. A lot of yeah, people do that. Absolutely. Um, so he, she and her sister, Danielle, both moved to Fayetteville together to do the community college thing. Okay. It's nice. She also has like support from yeah. her sister. Yeah. She okay. was like, you know what? Me too. We're going to go. We're going to do it. We're going to mm-hmm. get out of this town. We're going to make, we're going to forge a life for ourselves. Okay. But familiarity is a comfort. And Danielle's boyfriend still lived uh, back in like her hometown. So the girls did continue to come home on weekends fairly often. And a lot of people also said that that's um, where Rebecca had a connection to get weed. Okay. So on the weekends, she would come down and get weed and then bring it back with her. And when Rebecca was there, she, she and her dog were staying at Casey's house every time. Even though they weren't together, that was like kind of her home base in this town. Okay. She took what she needed to Fayetteville, but still could like live in this place if she needed to. And they weren't dating, as I said before, but they were friends who shared a bed. Right. And one of those friends is still hopelessly in love with the other one. Mm -hmm. So like stuff's going on is my guess. Yeah. Enough stuff so that she can still stay there. Mm -hmm. But it is mostly, like you said, it's just like a weekend thing at this point. Yes. And it's something that she had done, like, since she moved at the start of the school year. She had been there a few weekends, and she kind of had a routine down. But this brings us to the actual timeline of the weekend of the murder. And we will pick up there. Oh, man. Next week. Wow. Yeah. So next week, we'll get down to the actual timeline of events that we can kind of prove occurred and some that we can't during that weekend. And we will then follow through to the investigation of this, which is... Pretty infuriating. Yeah. And uh, and you'll see a little bit more where the it must be drugs yeah. thing took the cops. Because it did take them to people. It's not the right people. Yeah. Okay. This yeah. Is, it's so hard because I, again, I don't, I didn't look up. So I don't know. Yeah. How, because you said that this case is solved, but is it type of thing? Yeah. So I, I didn't look at it. So just... It does boggle my mind that Casey just isn't more, he isn't being like beaten down with like it is questions maddening. and even being held or, I mean, I guess they can't hold him if they can't prove anything, but it's also, there's so much, it seems like they're, even though so much was being cleaned at the, yep. I mean, there's so much being cleaned at the apartment. That's his apartment. So who else yeah. would be cleaning it if it was somebody else that came in to do it? Mm-hmm. They would just leave the mess as is. That's exactly what experts later on say about this case. Exactly. You're exactly right. Okay. 
this is yeah. So that that just popped in my head. Yeah. Like who else is cleaning this house? Yeah. Unless it was Corey. There are people who think maybe he was in the yeah. house. We'll talk more about that next week. Or Danielle. Maybe she's no going proof. crazy. <laughs> she does I'm, have an alibi. Yeah. Is um, it solid, though? Yes, it is solid. Danielle was a... <laughs> she didn't do anything okay. wrong. She, she's unfortunately no longer with us. She passed oh. away very recently of brain cancer. Oh. Yeah. Right. So, rough. Um, okay. But... Well, I'm interested for next week's now. Yeah. Um, to see where they're going with this. I feel like a lot of time is being wasted. Like, even if yes. they're clearing his name somehow, great. But now I feel like, how can they ever do that? And his interviews with the po- Oh, yeah. His interviews with the police are available. You can yeah. listen to them. Okay. And the police, they're very curious to me. Because when he's giving them timelines, which we'll discuss next week. Okay. If he seems to be inconsistent, because he's interviewed a lot of times. Okay. Okay. If he seems to be inconsistent, the cops just remind him. They're like, oh, no, no, no. Remember, you were there on Sunday. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, you... Which sometimes they do that, but they're calculating those. They're like marking those times, which we have said that in in interviews, if it's more concrete and you remember the same thing, that's less... That means that you're more likely to be guilty. But that is when we're talking about details. This is like larger events that occurred. Okay. And also... And I'm not condemning Casey. He is, yeah. he's, who knows? But um, they, they seem to just be so tolerant of everything. Yeah. They just trust what he says okay. implicitly. And they are eager to be like, well, you must have been mad, right? Yeah. That's why you did that. And he's like, yeah, uh-huh, I was. And then they just never talk okay. about it again. So then my only other question, which if you go into this next week, we can go into that more. But if his family owns a lot of property, mm-hmm. okay, is that something to like? Do people do like the cops? Do, does this town know his family? No. Okay, that so isn't that's, part of it actually. Okay, there are thoughts that her body could have been briefly at a second location. Okay, but we have no proof of okay. any of that. I guess I'm just more thinking if they're like, oh, we know his father and mother, and we like know this no. family, and they own a lot, and they bring a lot of money into this town or that's, something. They do own. Some land, but it is my impression that they are not considered a prominent family. It's pretty grandfathered in. They've had it for a really long time. And it's not like they have like huge, beautiful homes on these properties. They're just kind of what they are. Yeah. And if anything... They don't have like names on school buildings and stuff. No, 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 no. They're not like pillars of the community or anything. They just kind of live there. And they're not even from there. Casey actually lived in Texas until he was 12. Okay. So, I mean, like, parts of the family lived in Arkansas, and I think that's why they ended up back there. But, yeah, I, I see where you're going with that. Yeah. And, um, and it's, so it's, just it's making not sure. That. Okay. Good So, uh, all right. Yeah. That's, Damn. We will go more into all of this next week, and I'm excited to see what you guys think once we do, because as much as I'm going to provide a technical resolution, there's still so much to be discussed. Yeah. So I encourage everybody, if you want to wait until next week to join the Facebook board so you don't get the end spoiled for you, that's fine. If you want spoilers, you can go there. There are more documents than you can possibly imagine on this one. Like, yeah. go forth and read. Oh, it's going to take, it's, it's going to be hard for me not to look. I know, it's really hard. <laughs> I don't want to, oh. Don't want to have it spoiled for you. Well, because I want to go on this journey because yeah. I feel like it's going to help. Like you were saying, like there's, it's, it's frustrating and then it seems like there's this whole other side in 2018. Yes, there is. So it's like I just want 
I feel like maybe I could be part of the, the you, like, why aren't they doing this? Or what? why yeah. wasn't this there? But or you are like, reacting at perfectly. Okay. <laughs> That's exactly the way that people who heard this story later in the game yeah. reacted. Yeah. Everybody said the same thing. And there, there was no answer from the police. And we'll talk more about the police next week as well. Because as I mentioned earlier, the Arkansas police at that time there's a lot of questionable things to say about them. This mm-hmm. is not the only questionable case that occurs mm-hmm. then and there. Remember, the West Memphis Three is just like two hours away. Mm-hmm. So, okay. anyway, come back next week. Listen to the second half. Then we'll talk more about it. And we will toast then. Okay. Um, because this is not two independent stories. It's a yeah. continuation. And uh, I'll sew it all up then. So we'll see you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Would Be Dead Pod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. I'm beginning to scare the neighbor children. Anyway, here's Wonderwall.